you will find uh, his bio on page nine, and you need to see that to see the various countries where he has been, and there's a line in there that says he's a regular speaker at mission conferences throughout the PCA. I can attest to that, because it's, uh, I think it was a, probably about six years ago I started trying to get him for our mission conference, and uh, so we are uh, very happy that it has uh, worked out. Uh, Shelton has faithfully served uh, our denomination, um, he, he was in Rock Hill for 30 years, and it's a, a great church up there in Rock Hill that the Lord used him in building. He has uh, served as the chairman of our permanent committee for Mission to the World and been involved with uh, missions throughout the world. Um, but I, I would say that, uh, you know, his, uh, his highest qualification is he is a preacher of the Word of God. So, Shelton, will you come? Thank you, Dale. It, uh, I've been looking so forward to coming here. I came here um, I, after your church was planted. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. What was it, 30 years ago, roughly? And I remember Bill Barton asked me to come, and uh, I didn't preach, but I taught something here a number of years ago. And uh, when I got invited by Dale, who I've come to really love and appreciate, we are in a study group together that meets in Orlando. By the way, you cut the last two years. We missed you, you know. So. But anyway, uh, we, I've gotten to know him through that. Of course, I've known Bill for many, many years. Eddie and Gwen Spencer, who are here, I've been, I spent the night at their home last night and have known them for years. Eddie's daddy was one of my fathers at Westminster. He was a spiritual father to me. Very, very involved in missions and somebody that I deeply, deeply loved. And so it's been fun catching up with them. And I've, I've just heard about how this church has been, um, how God has blessed it. And I got the privilege this morning of going to one of your Sunday school classes. And I actually heard Alec Baldwin's sister teach the class. <laughs> <laughs> You, I, I agree with the guy who said you look a lot better now. <laughs> but it, uh, and, and then where's Mark? I mean, the music is, there you are. <laughs> I cannot tell you what gorgeous music. So thank you. It's such a blessing and it makes such a difference. Well, let me just, a couple of things up front here. If you're visiting the church today, as you already heard, I'm not the real preacher, this guy is, so you want to hear a good sermon, come back next week, okay? Uh, but there are a couple of things we're going to talk about this morning, and I really am talking to anybody who's visiting this morning uh, a little bit about the nature of this church. This is uh, an emphasis on missions, uh, that is, outreach. And it tells you something about this church that they set aside this time to really focus not on themselves, but on the outreach carrying the gospel out to the ends of the earth. And today we're going to be talking about money, and the reason we're talking about money is because this church uses um, what's called faith promise giving as the way that they support uh, their missions work. So that's really what you're going to hear me talking about this morning. And uh, most of you in this church have been around for a while. You've been using this kind of giving. Uh, I was introduced to it many, many years ago, and God is... Uh, God just blessed us 
as we've had the opportunity over the years to trust him and to see how he's going to provide. Now, let me say a few things, first of all, about missions. I had somebody ask me this morning, now, what country are you serving in? And I said, well, I'm not a missionary. I'm a pastor. But I'm a pastor who loves missionaries and a pastor who loves missions. And early on in my Christian life, it was instilled in me of how important it is that we are concerned not only with our own folks being built up in the faith, but we have a world out there that is lost and desperately in need. you, you agree with that? I mean, think about our culture. Some of you that have been around a while, can you believe how things have changed? Isn't it incredible? Things we would not have even dreamed of or thought of or even said are commonplace today. And that's why there's such a need. Your theme is uh, thy kingdom come. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer. Here's a question that we really need. Now, let me tell you what I've learned over the years as a pastor of, of, of several mission-minded churches, but my last one, Westminster and Rock Hill, where I served for 30 years, there were four things I always tried to do, Dale, when I would build our missions programs here. Uh, four things we would try to get our congregation mobilized for in terms of outreach. So I want to give them to you real quickly first. The first thing is prayer. Uh, I cannot say enough, having been involved with missions for all these years, of how important it is that we pray for our missionaries. Uh, you not only send them out, but we need to pray for them. I remember a missionary coming one time, and I asked him the question, what is the most important thing we can do for you? And he said, pray. And they really do believe that. They, they need that. And not only do we need to pray, thy kingdom come, as we look out in the world, you need to pray for your pastor. You need to pray for your elders here. So prayer is a, a critical part of mobilizing a congregation to missions. We need to pray. We need to pray for lost people in the world. We need to pray desperately for the missionaries who are out on the field. And we need to pray for opportunities for us to take the gospel to them. Second thing is to go. How many of you have been on a short-term mission trip? Let me just see. Wow, that's a lot of people. It's life-changing, right? I mean, those of you who've been, it really does change your life. And I just encourage you, I know your church sponsors a number of trips. It really does change your life when you go out and you get to go to another culture and you get to really see what our missionaries do. So uh, that's another way you can be involved. Third thing we're going to talk about today is giving. It takes a lot of money. I, I chaired a Mission World com uh, Committee for a number of years and it always amazed me at how much it cost to get the job done. So it cost a lot of money, and we're going to talk about that today. The other thing, the fourth thing, so let me make sure I'm, I'm getting this to you. Praying, going, giving, and the fourth thing is ministering to the missionaries. Let them know you love and care for them because they really, really appreciate your care for them as well. Well, today we're going to look at this subject of giving. Now, I know immediately there are some people, well, here they go again, talking about money. And there are people with these kinds of attitudes. Interesting to me, I remember when I first went out in the ministry, uh, I was scared to death to ever preach about money because I had this uh, elder in my first church who warned me, don't preach about money. And so I was this young guy in my 20s, you know, going out there, and I was scared to death to do it. Then I realized a number of years later what a terrible disservice I would do if I didn't speak to people because it's amazing how much God has to say about it. It's amazing how much in the Bible is written about our attitude toward material things, toward giving, toward what God wants from us. 
in terms of giving of ourselves, uh, our time, talents, and treasures. Amazing. John Maxwell did a study of that. He says there are actually more verses in the Bible that deal with this subject, the subject of giving our attitude toward material possessions, than there are verses in the Bible that deal with heaven or hell. It's kind of interesting to me. So anyway, there's a lot said about it. And remember the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Then he gives the real line. I mean, after he says that, he gets to the real line, and here's the real line of it. He says, For where your treasure is, do you remember what he said? Where your treasure is, what's going to be there? Your heart. You see, when we get to the subject of giving, it really is a matter of the heart. And if you're one of those people who get defensive about it, honestly, I have to say to you, it's a heart attitude. It's a heart attitude because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And so today, we're going to look at a passage. Go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them. It's printed in your uh, bulletin as well. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, the Apostle Paul has been talking about the subject of giving. He's in his first letter. When you get to the end of the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians, he uh, addresses the subject of giving. When you come to the second letter, there are actually two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, that are devoted to the subject of giving. We're not going to have time, obviously, this morning to look through all of it, but uh, we're going to look at just a portion of chapter 8 today. But before I read the scripture, you know, I've always loved our denomination, and if you remember when the PCA was started, it was started on really three foundational principles. The first one was the authority of God's word, uh, that we believe in the inspiration, infallibility, inerrancy of the word of God. We stake everything on that. The second was the Great Commission, and the third is that we would be true to the Reformed faith. And I go back to that. It's so, uh, for me, to be able to go to PCA churches, I know one thing, uh, we believe in the power of the word, right? We believe in the authority of the word. Uh, that reminds me of a true story. Now, this is true. This is, this is a true story. There was an article, and it was in one of the cities in Tennessee. I don't remember if it was Knoxville or Nashville. Article on the front page of the paper, and the article, the headline read, Power in the Word. And the article went on to tell about this elderly lady who woke up during the middle of the night having heard someone breaking in her house. Now, she was elderly, but she was a very, very good mind. She immediately picked up the phone, dialed 911, and she like, stayed there in her room, very still. Her room was upstairs. She was very still, and she would hear this bumping around downstairs, and she just couldn't stand it any longer. So she gets up, opens her bedroom door, walks out. There's a banister there. She looks down. And sure enough, there was a man who had broken in her house. He had some of her things, and he was walking out the door with these things. And she saw that, and immediately she said, Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. Now, if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. Acts 2.38. Guy froze. Didn't move. About that time, sure enough, blue light comes out front. Two patrolmen come in. They take the guy. They arrest him. They handcuff him. They put him in the car. And they're driving down to the police station to book him. And so one of the policemen turns, turns back to this guy and says, 
what in the world's wrong with you? Why didn't you run? He said, are you kidding me? When that old lady told me she had an ax and 238s, I wasn't going nowhere. <laughs> true story, true story. Well, look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We, we know there's another kind of power to the word, don't we? We know it is the very spirit of God, and it's the word of God that is powerful to penetrate deep into our beings. So this is God's word this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Now, I want to stop there a minute. Isn't it interesting? He's talking about giving here. He's talking about giving now. And notice what he calls it here. It's an act of grace. Don't you find that interesting? So often I think we, we think of it as duty, but God calls it an act of grace. Verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace as well. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? This morning, Lord, as we open your word, and we do realize the power in it. God, would you speak to us? You, O Holy Spirit, who authored these very words, would you now illuminate our hearts to really understand them? We thank you now as we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul's talking about the subject of giving, and he does what most of us preachers do. He illustrates, and so he's chosen some churches that he is going to use as illustration. They're the churches of Macedonia, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, you know the churches. So he points to those churches and he says, now I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you about giving. I want you to look at these churches. And he gives two characteristics of these churches. The first characteristic is this. They were going through a great ordeal of affliction. Did you see it in the first verses I read? They were going through a great time of affliction now, more than likely, it was a time of persecution. You remember the early church was severely persecuted by the Romans. And probably that's what it was. It was a severe time of affliction. Whatever it was, they were going through hard times. They were going through trials. They were going through persecution. They were going through difficulty. That's the first characteristic. Second characteristic is that they lived in deep poverty. They lived in deep poverty. Did you notice it? It said, in fact, listen to the language. Their extreme poverty. All right? So here are these two churches marked by affliction and poverty. 
It's interesting when you stop and think about that. Sometimes the most genuine liberality is frequently displayed by those who have the least to give. Right? I mean, it amazes me. Uh, I've known people who are very, very wealthy people, but when it comes to percentage of what they give, it's, it's very little compared to some people who don't have a whole lot, but you know what? They're committed and, and they give. Reminds me of uh, Jesus in Mark chapter 14. You'll remember this story. Uh, this is when Jesus is, um, he, I'm sorry, chapter 12. Jesus is there outside the treasury. Now, I found that interesting. He went outside the treasury, and it was where the people brought their offerings. And so they would put it in the treasury boxes there. So he's standing there, and he's watching. Now, let me read it to you. Here's, here's the account. He said, uh, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. It's kind of interesting. I mean, here's Jesus watching what people give. Kind of interesting. And it goes on to say, many rich people put in large sums, and that didn't seem to impress him. It tends to impress us, but didn't impress him. Many people put in large sums, and you remember the story, and a poor young widow came and put in two small copper coins, which uh, make a penny. That impressed him so much so he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. And it makes a very, very important point when you stop thinking about Christian giving in God's eyes. It's not the quantity. It's the heart attitude. And that's why I said up front, you know, if you're one of those people who really get defensive, when it comes to this subject, you just don't get it because it really is about your heart. And you know, when we start hearing sermons like this on giving and we really get it, we do see that it really is about the heart. I mean, here was this little widow who had nothing, but she brought everything she had and she gave it. It was about her heart. I think about this. Um, here, here they were. Now, look, here's the deal. Here, was these, here were these churches in Macedonia, marked by affliction and poverty, but then enters the grace of God. Now, let me tell you that if you study those nine verses that I read, the operative word in those nine verses is the word grace. Okay? If you go back and look at the passage, you're going to find it four times. It's going to talk about grace four different times. That's the operative word in it. So here's the way it worked. This grace of God came to bear upon these people's lives and it changed their attitudes. They lived in affliction and they had poverty. But look at what it produced. When the grace of God, let me read it again. Look at it. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says... We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given to the churches in Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction. I want you to notice what God's grace. You know, most of the time when you go through affliction and suffering, you don't think about joy, do you? But look at what happened. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy overflowed. 
joy is very different from happiness. You understand that, don't you? Happiness is something connected to sort of our circumstances. Uh, you know, happiness, we're happy about something. Well, generally, that's because something makes us happy. Joy is something very, very different. Joy is something that happens deep inside of you. In fact, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Remember, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, remember, joy is right in that list. So here's this joy, this inward joy. Here were these people in affliction, in affliction, and the grace of God came upon them, and they had joy. Uh, I was speaking at a conference in New York back in October. Mary Ann and I went up, and uh, I'd wanted to go to the 9-11 Museum because I hadn't been. And I asked the uh, fellow who's putting on the conference if he could get us tickets, so we went. I'll tell you, it's awesome to see. I don't know if you, how many of you have been there. But having gone through that, and some of us who so vividly remember that day and how just how, how we felt, you walk in that museum, you still sense that feeling. Uh, there's almost quiet in there. And we went through it and deeply moved. Anyway, I, I was going out. I was, my subject of this conference where I was speaking was going to be living the Christian life in a fallen world. And I had four talks. The second talk was on suffering. And I used as an illustration, we went to the... We went to the uh, museum, the 9-11 Museum, and I talked about it and talked about how suffering comes in this world. And do you just remember the tone after that uh, of what we all felt? And, you know, that suffering that comes. So anyway, I'm, I'm after, this, after I give this talk, this couple comes up to me and they said, Shelton, just let me tell you something. We lost our son in the South Tower. And two years later, we lost another son in a terrible accident. Mary and I got this couple off and said, tell us your story. And they began to tell me the story of how they had lost two of their sons, tragically. But they said, oh, but what God has taught us through it. Oh, the grace we experienced, the opportunities that we've had to be able to talk to people about our faith and about Jesus. And this, this beautiful smile came on their faces as they began to talk about that. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you explain that? It's the grace of God. Now, go to the other. Remember, affliction brought joy. Grace of God comes in. So here's the other one. Poverty, But look at what happened to these people who were living in poverty. Look at the verse again. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace that God has given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflown, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. So here are these people who were living in poverty... God's grace came to bear upon their lives. And you know what? It changed them. And let me tell you, that's what the gospel does to your life. The gospel changes everything. Everything, everything, everything. It not only just shows you the change that can take place in your life and your eternal destiny, but it changes everything. It changes how you look at money. It changes how you look at your vocation. It changes everything. And that's what happened here. The grace of God came to bear upon these people, and in their affliction they had joy, and in their poverty they became generous. Now, he goes on to talk about two kinds of giving here. And I'll give this is the biblical basis for faith promise giving. Two kinds of giving here. 
And look at the verse with me. It says in verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Okay, so there they are. They gave according to their means. Now, let me tell you how I've always understood that. They gave according to their means meant they gave according to their ability. And I think that was the tithe. And, you know, tithing is a very basic principle that goes all the way through Scripture. Abraham was the first person to tithe, and tithing has been a part of it all along because God knows that we need a minimum standard of giving because he knows us, and particularly in this materialistic age in which we live. So the way I read this, these people were giving according to their ability. They were tithing. But then it says they gave beyond their means. Now, what was that? You see, that really becomes the basis of what we're talking about here with faith giving. They had to trust God for it. They gave beyond their known sources of income. They gave sacrificially. That's the basis, the biblical basis for faith promise giving. I'm going to uh, develop that a little bit more in just a few minutes. So keep that in mind. Two kinds of giving. They gave according to their ability. That's your tithe. They gave beyond their ability. They had to trust God for it. That's your faith promise giving. Now, he goes on to give four very important principles about giving in this as well. And I want to give those to you, too. Look at, again at verse 3 as we unpack it. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means. Now, here's the next phrase, of their own free will. They gave of their own accord. If you go over to chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Each one must give as he's made up his mind. Now, this morning, you're going to be asked to make a commitment. You're going to be asked to make a faith promise in which you are trusting God. And you know what? You have to make up your mind about that. Nobody can do that for you. It's intensely personal between you and God. And, but these people gave of their own free will. They gave, they gave of their own accord. They wanted to. They purposed in their mind. And I hope even now as I'm speaking here that you're thinking about that. What is God putting on your mind? Second principle that you see here is that they had a deep desire to be involved in the Lord's work. Look at verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. Now, I can almost imagine this. Here were these people who were living in deep poverty and in times of great affliction. And so the apostles were taking up this collection. And I imagine when Titus went there to collect, I imagine the, that he said to the folks something like this. He, he said, uh, look, I know the affliction you're going through. I know, the, I know the poverty. I know many of you probably lost your jobs because of your faith. I understand this. I understand your condition. And we're really not asking you. You don't have to give anything. Just pray, will you? But look at what they did. This is amazing. Look at what they did. They begged. Oh, no. We want to give. Don't rob us of that. See the difference? Don't rob us of that privilege. Remember what God's grace did? Made them generous. And so they, didn't, they wanted to be able to do it. They begged. They had a deep desire. But there's another little line in there that says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Now, I'm going to say this to you this morning. If Jesus is not the priority in your life, what I'm going to say to you today probably amounts to nothing. You've got to start there. 
Is he first? Is he first? Is he above everything else? See, that's what happened to these folks. They gave themselves to the Lord first. That was their priority. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember, first. It has to do with priorities in your life. And, and let me, look, let me pull this down. Let me get out of the subject of giving for a minute. And let me say, when you get this, it changes. As the gospel, it changes everything. If the Lord is first in your life, it means you're going to think about him before you think about anything else. In your marriages, you're going to put him first. In your work, you're going to put him first. In your recreation, you're going to put him first. You young people who are here, I'm going to tell you something. You put Jesus first in your life, it means that you as a follower of Christ are going to have to make hard decisions because you're going to be pulled into doing things that some of your peers are doing and you just know deep down it's not right and it doesn't please Jesus. And you're going to be put in a situation where you're either going to follow your friends or you're going to put Jesus first. See what I mean? They put Jesus first. They gave of their own accord. They had a deep desire to be involved in the Lord's work. And they gave of themselves first, but they also committed themselves to the apostles. And in a sense, that's really what you're doing when you support your missions ministry. You're committing yourself to those missionaries who are out there. Now, that brings us to faith promise giving. And in the brochure that you have, do you have that this morning with you? Uh, if you don't, in it, I want to read you, because you have a definition of faith, I, I'm, I'm calling it faith promises, faith mission giving in your church. Faith mission giving is a commitment to the Lord in which we promise to give the amount of money as the Lord provides over and above our regular giving to the global missions ministry of our church. It's a commitment to the Lord in which we promise to give the amount of money uh, the Lord provides over and above the regular giving to our church. Now, I learned this a number of years ago, that when we talk about faith promise, there are really two promises involved here. The first one is a promise from God, as the Lord provides. Now, if we had time today, we would go over and look in more detail at the next chapter. Just real quickly, flip over to chapter 9 and look at verse 8 for a moment, at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all, th in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, what's a good work he's talking about there? Remember, this is all talking about giving. So what is God promising here? I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you an abundance. Or look with me a little further over. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says there, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. For you will be in, enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgivings to God. Now, what are those verses saying? God is saying to us, um, you can trust me. Now, and see, here's, here's the key to getting faith, faith uh, promise giving. The key to it is realizing this. It's really all about faith, right? Faith. So here's the deal. Are we going to trust God? Here's the way it works. Are we going to trust God to provide what we need, but also to give us some extra? See it? We're going to trust God to give us what we need, but also to give us some extra. So that's God's promise. Now, what's our promise? Our promise is if God gives it, what are we going to do? 
What are we going to do? We, we promise God if he gives it, what are we going to do? We're going to give it back, right? Okay, so that's the way faith promise giving works. Now, let me talk about sort of the mechanics of this for a minute. How does faith promise giving take place? Sometimes God does it in a dramatic way through unexpected income. Okay, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to give you four ways this happens. Sometimes in a dramatic way through unexpected income, a pay raise you didn't expect, an investment that did better than you expected, a tax refund. I mean, there are a number of ways. Um, over the years in my church in, at Westminster, I used to tell our people, listen, I, I really need illustrations. Would you send me examples of how you got your faith promise met? And, it, and I've done that in churches where I've gone to speak as well. So our folks, and by the way, I preach this sermon almost every year at Westminster, and I told them that they were going to hear it every year. This was one of the few sermons I preached over and over and over again, and I said, when we get 90% of you doing faith promise, I'll quit preaching this sermon. I'm still preaching the sermon, okay, so we're not there yet. But I started looking at that. I had a fellow, a friend of mine who sent me uh, an email about it. He said, Susan and I made our faith promise and we're wondering where it would come. Now, this is unexpected, right? That's what I'm talking Sometimes it's unexpected. Uh, Susan and I made a faith promise and we're wondering where it would come from. About two weeks ago, I got a letter that looked like junk mail. Fortunately, I opened it and there was a check that more than covered my faith promise. It was from a class action settlement on some stock I'd bought and sold about three years ago. And then he puts his last word, the Lord works in wonderful ways, four exclamation marks. Just didn't expect to get it. Came in. Remember, now, look, here's the key to make this work. When it comes, you got to remember what it's for. All right? <laughs> so I'm going to tell you. I got this, I got this. This is the greatest story. I got this. There's a young couple in our church up there. And uh, she, she was talking about this. And she said, last year, to raise the money for our faith promise, we held a big garage sale. But since we have already sold everything, we, parentheses, and both of our extended families, exclamation mark, had to sell, we weren't sure what to do this year. With salary reductions looming for the fall, we weren't sure what we could give. I was in the process of filing our taxes when I talked with my dad about a credit I hadn't realized we were eligible for. As I was standing in the living room telling my husband about it, the older children were eavesdropping from the den. As soon as they heard me say we had some unexpected money coming in, they both started chanting, Faith promise! Faith promise! I confess to you that wasn't my first thought when I realized we had a windfall. <laughs> right? Got it? You know, you got to be aware of it. So these kids did. He said, uh, I confess that it wasn't my first thought when I realized we had a windfall of several hundred dollars coming in, but thankfully, we, um, but thankfully they, the children, were more responsive to the Holy Spirit's reminder of your sermon last Sunday when I preached on it. So this year we'll be pledging the amount of our credit, and in six to eight weeks when our refund comes in, we will be writing out a check. God is faithful, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us even through the mouths of babes. Right, so you got to kind of look for it. You know, it's unexpected income. Uh, I could tell you story after story of how that happens. Sometimes in a dramatic way, through unexpected income. Most often, here's the second way. Most often, it's by helping us reorder our priorities, uh, by managing better what we do with our money. Uh, and by the way, that takes a lot of faith. 
to manage better what you're doing with your money. By cutting back on some expenses, you're paying off some bills, you know, freeing up that money that maybe you, as you pay these bills off, it sort of frees it up. In other words, being a good management, uh, being a good manager, a good steward of that which is that God has given to it, and it certainly involves sacrifice. Uh, a third way is through creative ways, babysitting, moonlighting for missions, garage sales, whatever else. Uh, I've, I've had all kind of wonderful stories, but one of the uh, most incredible stories I had, if I can find it up here, was uh, I was speaking in Pennsylvania, and I spoke at this missions conference, and this man and his wife, after I had lunch with him that day, and he said, uh, I buy old Corvettes and refurbish them and sell them. He said, what do you think about me taking one of the Corvettes I buy and maybe committing whatever I make on it for my faith promise? I said, I can't wait to hear your story. And so tell me about it. Well, sure enough, about two months later, I get this email. It says, Shelton, back in April, I mentioned to you at our annual missions conference an idea we had so forth. He said, uh, as a small classic Corvette dealer, we decided to designate the profits from the next car we would purchase to Faith Promise. Attached is a picture of the Faith Promise Corvette. Good looking red Corvette, right? <laughs> so he says, we got it. He said, a, a 1963 Red Roadster. It was uh, purchased in April for 27000 sold in June for 31000 We even got to cruise in it for a little. We were blessed by your testimony. $4,000. That was their faith promise. You see what I mean? You just got to think about it and do some fun things with it. Some of you young folks who are here babysitting, I mean, commit some of that to you. Garage sales. There are all kinds of neat ways that you can find. It really can be fun. It's an adventure. Let me tell you, this is an adventure as you begin to start thinking about how God would provide for your faith promise, which brings me up to the next subject. Um, what is it as we consider what we are to give? We, we, we all got to, look, here's the deal you got to ask yourself this morning. Uh, what are we going to put down on that card? Now, let me tell you the wrong question, all right? So here's the wrong question. The wrong question is, how much should I give? Okay, that's the wrong question. Now, let me give you the right question. Here's the right question. Here's the right question. With faith promise giving here's the right question how much does God want me to trust him to provide through me catch the nuance there not how much should I give it's another question it's another question and the question is how much does God want me to trust him to provide through me so I want you to ask yourself that question right now how much this morning does God want me to trust him to provide through me? It's interesting in my work with Mission World that um, it's pretty astounding how few churches, uh, mission, the, the last budget that I was familiar with with Mission World was close to uh, $45 million or something like that. It's amazing how much. But what was even more amazing to me was how few PCA churches gave to Mission World. It's amazing. I don't remember the percentage, but it was, it was a few. But I'm, I, I do know this because I looked it up. Your church is one of the leading churches. 
that gives the mission of the world and the PCA. So thank you. Thank you for being willing to do that. So as you're considering this this morning, remember, you're already committed. But wouldn't it be exciting to see, wouldn't it be exciting to see your budget grow so that you could have more impact? Wouldn't that be exciting? Yes, yes, that'd be exciting. I think so. So I've really been praying about this. I'm praying that God's going to move in your hearts. And, and, you know, that grace is going to come in. He's going to make you generous. He's going to give you faith to trust him. So here's the question. How much does God want me to trust him to provide through me for this? Now, remember that the subject here, the subject here, the operative word is grace. Remember, verse 1, the source of grace is God. The evidences of grace are joy and liberality. But let me give you the supreme example of grace. And you find it in verse 9, which is really, look, here's the punch. Verse 9 is the punch. And here's what verse 9 says, and you probably have memorized this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich, right? Now, I want to take that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor. Now, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, as so many people take it, well, yes, when he, when he was incarnate, he came to this world, there was... Um, Goodness, there wasn't even a place, you know, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a room at the end. And he had to be born in a stable. I mean, here's the creator of the universe. He's born in a stable. And you remember the verse that says, the, uh, the foxes have their holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. As far as we know, Jesus never owned any kind of earthly dwelling. And did he live in poverty? Absolutely. And some people focus on that, but let me tell you, it's a whole lot deeper than that. Because what that verse is really talking about is the depth of the poverty that Jesus went through on the cross. Because there on the cross, now think about this for a minute. There on the cross, Jesus lost everything. Everything. Though he was rich, okay, everything, remember Colossians? All things were created for him and by him and through him. Remember all that business? Here he was who has everything. He owned everything. Everything was his. Everything. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The door is rich, yet he became poor. How poor did he become? Okay, here's what happened on the cross. The greatest transaction to ever happened in the history of the world happened there. When all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, all our sins, all of those terrible regrets of our lives, he took so that we would never have to pay for them ourselves. He paid for them in our place. And what did it cost him? Everything. Even the relationship with his father. You remember, always Jesus, when he prayed, would pray, my father. But do you remember on the cross what he said? My God, my God. What? What did he say? My God, my God, what? What's that about? There on the cross, Jesus took all of the failures of his people through all of the ages and he paid what we rightly owe God for the wages of sin is death. His death on that cross was not simply the horrific crucifixion. 
There have been many martyrs, even some martyrs who died a worse physical death than Jesus did. But none has ever faced a death like his because of the spiritual poverty that he experienced. His father turned his back on him. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. Now, let me stop right here and say something. I know this. In this room, there are people, you have failures. You have things in your life that you deeply regret. And some of you are still carrying those, the guilt of those failures, you're still carrying them around on you. And I'm going to tell you something. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus settled that, and you're free. Let go. There are some people who have so many regrets in their lives, they look back over terrible things that they've done in their lives. I recently talked to a young woman who had had an abortion, and she could not let that go. I don't know what it is in your life, but we've all got them. Do you understand the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is that that we have a Savior who loves us so much, he's willing to take all of that stuff, all of those failures, and he took them upon himself, and there on the cross he settled it. And he said, it's finished. The debt's paid, done, over. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, your record is clean. And not only clean, you have his righteousness given to you. So that God looks at you in the same way he looks at his own son. Let me tell you something. He adores you. He adores you. That's the gospel. That's the grace. No wonder those people, when they got it, even though they were in affliction and poverty, no wonder when they got this and they saw this, what did they do? They they could have joy. They could be generous because they got the gospel. See it? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. See it? Now here's the way I want to close this morning. Remember you are asking yourself a question. How much do I trust God to enable me to provide through me to be able to fund this, this mission. I want you to remember one last thing. I love Isaac Watts' hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And I'll tell you the line I love more than anything else. I think of it often, and you'll remember it. Were the whole realm of nature mine. If I owned everything, if I had everything, all of nature was mine. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were present far too small. Love, so amazing. What was, he, what was Isaac Watts picturing when he wrote that? Jesus on that cross dying. When I survey the wondrous cross. When he who was rich became poor. When he loved you with a love that goes beyond any kind of comprehension. That he was willing to take all of your stuff ugly as it is, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, 
mile. If he loved you that much, is there ever too much that we could do for him? Ever? In response out of gratitude? And I'm going to tell you something. You know where his heartbeat is? When he gave the Lord's Prayer, what did he say? One of the petitions, thy kingdom come on this earth. Let's be a part of his will as we generously, generously commit ourselves to trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for this word, and it's, it is so powerful and so beautiful. And we thank you for the gospel. And I, I want to stop there a minute. And if there are any in this room who've never grasped the essence of what what the gospel message is, that it's about a Savior who loves us unconditionally, sacrificially, and unendingly. I pray this morning that you would see the beauty of Christ, that you would see his love for you, and that you would see the sacrifice he made in your behalf. And if you've never come to that place this morning, it's my prayer that right here in the silence of these moments that you see him suffering for you and bidding you to come to him to find peace and joy that only he can give. If you've never done it, it's simply at this moment a time to come before him and to say, Jesus, I give you all my failures, and there's so many. And I trust what you've done. I give my life to you. I trust what you've done. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you that you live in me. Thank you. And for those of us who are believers, may we never take for granted the message of God's grace. Jesus, how could we ever, 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 ever thank you for what you've done for us? Not that you expect it, but thank you. And this morning as your people consider a matter of faith, I pray that you move. And I pray that you give us a new measure, a fresh measure of your grace, an understanding of your grace. And help us to have joy even in our affliction and to be generous even in our poverty. For we make this prayer in the precious name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.